Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm joined by Mariam Jimmo of the Women of the City Afro-Caribbean Network and Alex Odwell, founder and managing director of Referment. Mariam is the founder and director of WCAN, Women in the City Afro-Caribbean Network, a non-profit organization that specializes in working with black female students and young professionals to help progress their careers. As part of their support, WCAN offers a wide range of events ranging from leadership and personal development and also into career-oriented and workplace networking. A city career has included a diverse range of experience ranging from fintech startups, investment banking, M&A advisory, debt capital market, strategy advisory, corporate finance and social entrepreneurship. And in 2014, Marion was selected as a next generation woman leader by McKinsey. Marion, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Alex Odwell is the Founder and Managing Director of Referment. With more than 10 years of experience recruiting in the financial services sector, two years ago, Alex launched his own firm, Referment, offering a rewarding recruitment model. Using technology and the power of human connection, Referment rewards people for referring candidates for jobs at companies right the way across the financial services ecosystem. He and his team are headquartered in London and he tells me he has exciting plans afoot to launch into new geographies and sectors in the near future. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And as always, at the start of each episode, we invite each guest to take a minute to talk about what they're up to. Mariam, let me start with you. What are you focused on at the moment? So I've very much been focused on growing WCAN and um, looking at WCAN from more than just a student perspective. So making sure we're kind of working with women along the whole pipeline, um, starting off with girls as young as 15 to 18, kind of getting them focused a little bit more and about their kind of careers and also the universities they may look into going to. And then taking that all the way up until people who are kind of five, 10 years into their career um, and are young professionals who want a network of black women who they can draw on, um, resources that they can draw on from that network as well. Um, so it's been very much a really busy period for us just trying to get kind of continue to put out the things that we're putting out, but across that whole pipeline. Um, So yeah, it's been very busy for us at the moment. We're also working on kind of expanding the different brands under WCAN name. So we're working on um, a podcast that's also for women of color, um, sort of getting them getting their voices out there, inspiring, but also kind of giving that kind of practical insight into different things that women might deal with as they're growing up or going through their careers. Um, and, and also kind of working on a, a slightly more uh, targeted group that's for young professionals, um, a targeted mentorship scheme that's kind of almost like a little tiny private members club that can get, a lot of black women can get the support that they need um, from that group, um, but quite specific. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different things we're working on under the WCAM brand and it's quite exciting times for us. Amazing. And so from one very, very busy woman to another very busy man who is an entrepreneur uh, in, your, in your own right, Alex, tell us what you're, what you're focused on at the moment. So Referment is a platform that is built for people who work within the financial services sector um, and enables them to refer their peers, colleagues and ex-colleagues for for roles that Referment are working on with with companies in the marketplace. Uh, We've built a website which is available at www.referment.com. We've also built an app that's available on iOS and Android. In in short, we reward people for uh, their referrals. They receive a £50 Amazon voucher if their referral gets an interview. Um, and if their referral lands the job, we give them a portion of the recruitment fee, which on average is around £2,500 
at the moment. And, you know, we started referment back in, you know, the end of 2016 uh, because that we believe that people who work alongside each other know their strengths and weaknesses better than a recruiter does who's judging them just off of a CV. Um, but also because the when in a world of data and information um, consummation at the moment, that <clears throat> it's really in, in, in invaluable information that people have got within their own brains and their own networks and their connections, and that's really valuable. And we want people to be able to monetize that, um, earn a bit of a, you know extra money on the side, um, and yeah, essentially benefit from building out you know, worthwhile networks. So, Ryan, let me start the discussion with you. In terms of, you know, do you see that positive steps are being made to hire BAME individuals? I definitely see some differences in the way some companies are operating in that I think they've noticed now that it's more than just kind of putting some money behind an Afro-Caribbean society or or a network like WCAN. And there are actually some practical things that they need to engage in with with their audience if they want to kind of get these... um, candidates to apply um some of the things i've seen is that they're utilizing their own data to kind of realize how um bme um applicants are actually applying and seeing where they fall out in the pipeline of applying or where they struggle in the application um, um, section. And they work with organizations like my, my own in order to kind of fill these gaps in. So for example, one, one big four company came to us and said, you know, we've, we've, um, we've noticed that in numerical testing, we get a lot of BME people kind of slipping out um, of, of the application Uh, process. And we would like to kind of hold very practical sessions that will help these guys kind of get on board with the sort of testing that we do and and explain it to them. And those are the things that they want to work on us with. And then there are other firms that are probably a little bit further behind, I would say, in that they're still kind of thinking about how to go about that. But that's definitely one of the most the the best practical things I've seen so far where firms are actually utilizing the data that they've collected on BME students and they're using that to um, direct their recruitment process, which I think is is really interesting. And of the firms that, that aren't uh, paying quite as much attention to it as they, they clearly should be, um, what, what are the awakening moments when they kind of go, actually, we're going we're gonna to miss out or we're missing an opportunity? As much as I, I don't want to say, I think when they see other firms doing something different to them, it takes a little bit, there's a little bit of a lag, but they, they, they say, do you know what? They're doing that. So I think we need to do it too. I'm not necessarily sure that the, it's like an awakening moment where they're like, okay, it's not working. Cause I think what they continue doing is saying, do you know what? We're going to keep doing it this way until there isn't, there's a reason for us not to. Um, so I think it's very much kind of watching what some of the really big names and diversity are doing at the moment and using that to kind of govern what it is that they do as well. So I, I've been w- running WCAN for the last five years and I've definitely seen sort of this uh, this kind of canon of, of people kind of doing one thing and then all firms sort of follow bit by bit afterwards. So I do think it's driven more, say, by that than kind of a light bulb sort of switching on. The power of fear of missing out yeah, on FOMO exactly. is incredible. It's looking at the city. And, uh, and I mean, uh, uh, Alex, you've been in the city for, for a number of years in the world of recruitment. I mean, where do you see, when, when you're working with organisations who, I mean, do they come to you with a brief saying, I'm looking for greater diversity, not only in terms of ethnic representation, but actually across the the, the, the board. Are they thinking differently in their approach to it? Or is it a kind of traditional model to go just get me a different result? Yeah, I think there's there's different um, different approaches by different companies. And, and we've definitely seen over the last couple of years much more awareness from companies to challenge the diversity issues that they've got internally. Now, we don't have, with the exception of 
on the tech side, companies asking for for women in technology. We don't ever have any any clients that come to us asking for specific types of people based off the diversity radar or, or you know other areas. Um, I think one of the the, the challenges that the companies have or the things that companies have to take into account or be aware of is that they've got to want to change. They don't have to feel like they have to. And I think it's, you just go back to, you tap into general human psychology is if you want to do something, you've got to want to do it. There's got to be an actual reason. And what is the benefit of that to the actual company to have a different, you know, workforce or, or di- a more diverse work for workforce. And until companies are able to nail down exactly why and what the benefits will be to them, there will be an element of lip service you know, driving diversity internally. Do you, do you see that people are paying attention to the this is a question to you both actually, uh, are paying attention to the, uh, the potential and the opportunity to outperform their peers? Mariam, let me start with you because you say there are some firms who are very much kind of on that journey and others that aren't. Uh, do you think that's there's, with a commercial intention or is it still a nice to do intention? And like I said, I think the firms that see it with from a commercial intention are probably those firms who are kind of pioneering and innovating and thinking of different ways to do things because there are some that there's there's no there's no confusion that having a diverse workforce makes your company more productive or it makes your company more um, profitable. I think McKinsey's done so much research on it. So a lot of the big consultancies have. So it's not really something that I think can be disputed. So those firms that have really understood that this is a benefit for you in the long run or the benefit for you as your company, for your clients, your clients are not all the same. They're not, they're not all from the same backgrounds or all have from the same anything really. So the firms that I see that have kind of taken it from that perspective definitely have made a little bit more progress or a little bit more innovative, a little bit more kind of forward thinking about the way they approach it um, from my perspective anyway, from what I've seen. And, and Alex, anything to add there? No, I think, you know, Mariam's got that about spot on. I think that um, there's a lot of research that's been done over the, you know, the recent years to show that you know, having different thoughts, different backgrounds, people who have experienced different things that can add, you know, a really, you know, another angle and another view of looking at the, you know, a common age old problem, which is how do we make more money? How do we get better service or, or whatever it might be within whichever industry? Well, I think one of the, the great things that we're seeing is the power of the network. And clearly, you know, Mariam, you've got your, your, your network and the potential for referrals, actually, and thinking, Alex, about your business model. Are you, are you, I mean, do you tap into those sort of networks and, uh, and, and, and to drive referrals through that? Or do you find that it tends to be very much kind of it's a corporate uh, environmental referment network people going literally I was sitting next to you therefore I think you're a good candidate yeah so I mean we, we we've thought about how do we tap into other other people's networks but to, to be brutally honest we, we don't want to do it for marketing purposes you know we don't want to sit there and and, and jump on the the bandwagon of you know we're teaming up with this um, charity or this network or this network um because it helps us in our pursuit of what we're trying to do in a business. I think there has to be, you know, quid pro quo in any any type of business relationship. So we've really, as organic as it is, it's an open platform that people can refer, you know, whomever they, you know, they've worked with in a, in a work capacity and they, they feel that they've added value to that organization and they, they think they're a good employee. And, and, you know, we've had and we've seen 
a um, a spike in the types of you know an, an increase in the numbers of you know, diverse candidates that that get th- put through to us that we then are able to then pass on to our our clients and um, you know one of the, the the challenges that the traditional recruitment model has is that you're trying to make a a snap judgment on an individual within a seven to ten second window of skimming a CV and and you can look at a CV and and you can say oh that person's had too many jobs in a short period of time you can say that person's only been at one employee for ten years they're institutionalized you could say their notice period is too long you could say oh their ethnic background's not right or their university isn't right and and for me fundamentally that that's wrong i think that's you know that that subconscious bias that people within the recruitment industry have whether or not they realize it or not is a barrier to change um but it's not helping people get in a a a selection of you know candidates and people for them to meet and for them to 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 assess for the right roles and 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 we also you know we, we 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 get referred people for jobs that come from different pathways to what your traditional candidate or individual would come from. So, you know, one of the things that we have to do with our business model is that we have to speak to people and we have to meet them and we have to ensure that we give a good service to people because if, you know, if yourself or if Marion referred someone to us and we didn't give them a good service, then that would turn that person off and it inadvertently turn or inevitably turn, turn, turn you off. So, you know, we have to give people the time of day and by giving people the time of day, you get to hear their story, and 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 from from representing the um, the young people who are in and of themselves represented on those CVs that you talk about. Do you spend a lot of time with people thinking about you know how do you how do you position yourself to get through some of those biases that exist? Yeah, definitely. I think I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, are really focused on that pathway as as the perfect pathway to get to an investment banking role or a consulting role, whereas they don't realize that it's really how you position yourself and how you sort of sell yourself from your own perspective that really would get you anywhere. And I think because of that kind of traditional way where kind of firms maybe look at particular universities first or they look at particular sort of names first or or anything, people sort of think they're, you know, they're less likely to sort of engage or less likely to apply or I don't think I'll get in or whatever. So I think we spend a lot of time with people kind of telling them, well, this is how you position what you do have to get a role or this is how you position what you what you don't have yet or what you can add to whatever it is that you do have uh, to get a role. I think that that thing on changing the mindsets of the people who are also applying is extremely important. It's not so much just about the the, the firms who are saying that we want Oxbridge or we want X, Y, and Z. I think it's also the people who are applying who kind of almost rule themselves out sometimes before they even start because they don't think they follow that pathway, not knowing that actually that diversity in your pathway adds an element that someone else may not necessarily have who had had uh, that very kind of straight road to to, to the role. It's, and it's the power of life experience, actually, in many, many cases on, on the way. And, and uh, does that come down then to a question about confidence and being able to find your voice and finding your way in that? Because I'm just thinking, Alex, you were saying about, you know, kind of always meeting a candidate and having that, that engagement. I mean, that's probably the most almost in, most important part of, um, you know, how the supply and demand kind of dynamics come together, which is that moment when you when you sit for a coffee and have a have a um, have your first meeting. Are there any tips you would give uh, for Mariam to take back into the network to say, think about these things? Yeah, I think you know, Mariam nailed it again. You know, it is you have to understand what value you've you know, you've given to an employer in the past if you've been in work and 
and if you haven't been in work, it, it can be quite difficult. And we've all, you know, we've all been there before, you know. Um, but it's about then trying to um, effectively communicate what the value that you could bring to that business. And and for me, value comes down to time, time and money, really. That's it. You know, where are you going to help a company make money or save money? Where are you going to help um, or where have you helped a company save time or, or given them, you know, uh, I think one of the other things I've mentioned before is about kind of de-risking things. And it's not in a regulatory sense, but just in thinking of a, 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 a solution differently to somebody else that maybe balances a portfolio of a company or, or stops a disaster happening six months down the line because they've 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 you know picked up on something that others haven't um and i think that you know the 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 confidence thing for me is you, know, you have to put yourself out there um you have to appreciate and understand that you know within an interview process it it's there to test you and far often or far too often um interviews aren't there to test people they're there just to be judged and i don't think that's right uh, i think there's there's ways that you can test people who aren't technical. I mean, technical people are fairly easy to test in, in all less, you know, in all, you know. So go and share some insights. What, so what, what do you, what do you, how do you test people? I, I test, so, so how I test my, my sales guys, girls is, you know, if I like them at the end of the interview, I will say to them, you know, you know, really enjoyed that. I'll be keen to kind of continue the conversation and, and get back in touch with you. And if, and this isn't because I need to feel self-important, but if they don't come back within 24 hours with a, a note saying, hey, look, really enjoyed that. You mentioned X, Y, and Z. When are you free to meet up again? Because one of the key things that I believe a salesperson's good at is A, following up, and B, being courteous and polite and just, you know, a good person. Now, if I'm giving somebody a buying sign that I like them and they're not picking up on it, then, you know, A, are you interested in the job enough? Which if you aren't, that's fine. That's perfect. Um, but then I don't think you've got, just good manners and and um so that that's one of the things that i do with my my salespeople. but you can also with with, with client facing people try and talk them out of a, a job at the end and say look is this really going to be for you and kind of outline the um the, the negatives and for sales people it's great because if you go hey look don't think you're right for this but thanks very much and if they go oh brilliant no worries thanks ever so much for taking the time to meet with me you've dodged a massive bullet there because somebody that can't handle objections or or find a way of overcoming that objection so I think you've just got to try and think a little bit creatively about how you test these people. So, Mary, what are the, where are the big hurdles, the big barriers to change? I think one of the biggest hurdles is a lack of intersectionality. I think when people say the word diverse, it's almost lost its meaning because it represents a bunch of different things. Um, and I think one thing that's quite important is that you realise that people are diverse and they are different and there are different things you need to do to cater to different people. And I don't think a lot of firms actually realise that. And I don't think a lot of organisations realise that what would make a great working environment necessarily for, say, a black woman may not necessarily be the same thing that would be for a gay man, for example. There are different things to make different people comfortable. And it's about not just being diverse and throwing a bunch of people in, in a pool and saying it's diversity, but it's also how do they integrate into your company? How do they integrate in the day-to-day? -day? And, and are they comfortable staying? Because what we actually find, which is what we're doing more research on now, is that, yeah, the women might get in, but they don't stay very long or they find their way out at some point or they move quickly. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's not news to anybody that by the time you get to senior positions, a lot of women have fallen out and it's not just to do with 
the kind of general, okay, women are having children or they're getting married. It's not just to do with that. There's an environment that firms are creating for women or black women or, or, or anybody that's making them feel as though I can't succeed in this. So I'm going to move and do something else. So I think it's really important to kind of target that intersectionality and think about diversity as not just one big conglomerate, but it's like different parts and different different people that need different things and making sure you're catering to all of them as opposed to just here's one size fits all and here's a diversity jumper, just put it on. It doesn't necessarily work like that. And one of the things that I I hear a lot of people talk about and guests on the podcast have also commented on is uh, the risk of using Bane. You know, because the black, Asian, minority, ethnic dimensions and, and dynamics are really discreet. I mean, it's like, you know, kind of just just lumping everybody into one category is just it feels incredibly wrong in this in this quest for inclusivity and also intersectionality as well. Do you find that organizations are making that mistake or 100%. what are your views? It's like one of the biggest things we have to deal with where we have to almost kind of stand on a table and shout at firms that... BAME is very different to BME, is very different to black. Like they're, they're all very different. And the things that you would need for one necessarily wouldn't fit all. Um, and it's not just about diversity in a sense of like, okay, our skin color is the same. It's not necessarily that. It's more kind of how I've grown up is very different from how you've grown up. For example, if you're kind of you from Hong Kong or you're from, you, you're from, you're international, you would be put in a BAME sort of situation, but you'd be very different from somebody who's from inner city London, who kind of grew up in zone one in a council flat. And do you know what I mean? Even though your skin colors might be different or the same or whatever it is, really, your experiences would be very different. Therefore, it doesn't make sense, like I say, to put all of those together and make them into like one big ball of diversity because that's not necessarily going to get you the best results. And, and those firms that are very progressive, do they do they get that point? Do you find 100%. they're beginning to understand it? 100%. I feel like sometimes firms are afraid to use the word black. Like you can say it's a black X or a black Y. It can be for a black person. It can be for an Asian person. It can be for an for any kind of person. And you can say that word. And I think they're almost a politically correct about it when you don't need to be. So let's take a pause there and turn to Robert and Cynthia, who have been doing some research to support today's discussion. According to the 2017 BAME Women at Work report published by Business in the Community, there are over 20.6 million women in the UK's working age population. 2.9 million, or 14%, are from a black, Asian and minority ethnic background. There is a significant difference in the employment rates between white women and BAME women. 72% of white women are in employment compared to 55% of BAME women. Indian, mixed race and black women experience employment rates of 65%, 64% and 63% respectively. However, the employment rates for Bangladeshi and Pakistani women are significantly lower at 30% and 39% respectively. Personal networks play an important part in recruitment. According to the data, 23% of white women use acquaintance networking, while the figure is 19% for BAME women. When applying for roles in financial services, it's often very useful to do some practice aptitude tests. Careers and networking site Bright Network has lots of handy advice, tips and practice tests for people applying for roles in financial services. 
And it's interesting before we before we went to the break about uh, the whole question about language. And we have so many guests on the show. We talk about race a lot and ethnicity. And, uh, you know, the resounding response from all our guests is, you know, you need to get stuck in with language. Be, have courage and be brave about exactly as you were saying, Marion, about, you know, even the use of the word black. And even getting into, you know, kind of, but have it with an empathy and appreciation that it's not a one grouping about, about BAME. But there's another thought around that, which is then we're always catering to individual voices and individual identities in organizations. But organizations don't have the time or the energy or the appetite to cater to those individuals. And they have to meet some minimal requirements around opportunity and pay, career progression, et cetera. I mean, Alex, let me sort of turn to you with that, which is you know, when you're talking to organizations, do they want to be talking to individuals or do they want to be acting for the whole? I think you know, by and large, when you, when you look at the corporate, corporate culture, that's what that's there for. It's, it's, it's about you know, genuinely taking the time to understand your employees and what motivates them. And I think far too often it's, you know, they're, 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 the culture and values are left on a wall and they're not actually lived and breathed throughout a business. And, um, and just going back to something that Mariam um, mentioned earlier around the, that some companies are are doing this better than others. Um, I'll be really keen just to hear which ones and examples of of how companies can um, ensure that inclusion is is is, is you know, visually seen and 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 breathed and smelt and felt within within the business. So what I find is that a lot of firms have um, very specific community groups within their firms. So they will have sort of a black group or they'll have um, an LGBT group, and I find that. When these when these smaller groups get involved with what the com- what the company is doing recruitment wise, it almost it almost does the work for them if that makes sense. So a lot of firms I've seen they've got their black networks to kind of interact directly with black students because you would have that connection to say an Afro Caribbean society. And naturally, what you're saying to that student is there is a space where you will feel inclusive in this firm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be hands-on work that the firm is doing, but by giving people spaces that where they can be sort of themselves and be individuals, you're almost showing that inclusivity because that's all people want. They want to be able to look around or speak to someone and feel like I get where you're coming from. I feel like I'm included in what you're doing, whether we're different or not. So I think that's one of actually the biggest things. Some firms don't even have black networks or LGBT networks. They don't, Some like the most you'll see is a women's network. And I think that's definitely something that firms can really leverage to actually attract a lot of diverse candidates and make them feel comfortable. Which speaks to me that there's huge possibility. And I think there's that what's been wonderful from this discussion is really good practical insights and practical ideas for listeners to take away with them. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Mariam and Alex, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Roy Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. 
And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.